Hey, it's Lynn Galadner, and this is the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm founder of the Your People Marketing and PR Agency, and I lead the Make Meaning Movement, a platform that helps purpose-driven visionaries and leaders do business with meaning. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of how people dare to take chances to live the life they want with meaningful work and purposeful days. There are many ways to fill your life with meaning. Join us at makemeaning.org to learn more. Now, on to the show. Hey, everybody, it's Lynn Galadner, and I'm back with another episode of the Make Meaning Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you hear here, check us out over at makemeaning.org and get involved. We have programs and workshops, blogs to read, podcast episodes to listen to, and I'm so grateful to have you as our audience. Today, I'm speaking with John Wynn, an entrepreneur with a spiritual background and a deep connection to family. The only boy among nine siblings, John grew up to become the father of eight children who all work alongside their parents in their 24-hour TV network platform, The Wynn Network. Based in Nevada, John Wynn is a pastor, an educational consultant, an author, a musician, and so much more. He says, there are innate desires within us from birth that guide us to what we like, who we associate with, and what ideas we are attracted to. John credits his parents with inspiring him to take life in stride and enjoy the journey. Dr. John Wynn is a bishop and a filmmaker, a CEO and a writer, and he says it's his mission to develop lives, empower communities, and expand services. Let's hear what Dr. John Wynn has to say. John Wynn, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk with you. You have such a varied background, both personally and professionally, and I'm really looking forward to exploring it all. But I want to start by asking you about what it was like being the only son of nine children and how that shaped your perspective. <laughs> That's a great question. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm not only the only son, I'm number seven ah. of uh, eight sisters. Uh-huh. And uh, one thing that perspective was shaped is a connection with women in my life because I can relate to one of them because I run into one of their personalities. <laughs> so it gives me great perspective on personalities and how to deal with various different ideologies in women. <laughs> so you probably had like nine mothers, right? Uh, yeah, they try to be my mother. <laughs> So yeah, no, it's funny because I'm the oldest of three and I have a sister and then my brother's the youngest. And so he feels like he had three mothers and he moved like eight hours away, I think because of that. So (laughs) I'm not going to comment, but you know, I'm sure you are quite the gentleman after all of that uh, feminine influence. So yes. Well, so one of the things that I loved when I was researching you and preparing for this interview was how marriage and family have really been a bedrock in your life. I know you've talked a lot about how you revere and admire your parents' relationship. I know you have a strong marriage that is the anchor for your family, which includes eight children. So I'd love to hear from you about how you define your family values and how you came to articulate what really matters to you. Well, I think uh, it started with my father. My father was a man of... uh great statue. He did tremendous work in the state of Nevada, first African-American on the governor's cabinet. Uh, and recently, last summer, we named our apartment complex after him by the Reno Housing Authority. And my father was about responsibility and attitude. And he was a strong believer that, you know, a good attitude would take you a long way. So he cared a lot about character, integrity, uh, and he believed in taking care of the family. He identified love with responsibility. Mm. He did not identify it just with an emotion of feeling 
mm-hmm. or emotion of hugs and kisses and and those type of nuances, but he identified it as taking care of what you love. Mm-hmm. And I think that transcended to me and my family, where I have eight boys and four girls and four boys, to where I taught them the responsibility, but also uh, if you take on a job, you know, take on the job because of you. It represents you. It represents your touch. It represents your mindset and it represents your excellence. Mm-hmm. So I try to pass that down from what my father passed to me as being the only male child. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I hope I can live up to what he did, how impactful he was in the city of Reno and abroad. So mm-hmm. I think that's what I think I looked more for especially having men, you know, coming from the only boy mm-hmm. and having eight sisters, you know, you don't get a lot of male perspective, <laughs> but uh, uh, I try to give my son the importance of responsibility and following through with your ability as well as my daughter's. Yeah. I love that. You know, it's, it's really interesting because we um, often talk about family values and, you know, articulating what matters, but I think a lot of people, don't know how to really explain what those values are. So I think you said it really well. And I know that you start each day with devotion and you devote time after that to talking with your wife and your children and, you know, sort of that starts your routine. And I feel like that's an embodiment of these values, like how you use your time, how you start your day and sort of focus it speaks volumes. So I wonder if you could take me through this routine and tell me about how it grounds you for your work. Well, uh, you know, I, I, my father was, a, I'm a third generational pastor. My dad was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. Mm-hmm. But just because you're a pastor and per se a religious leader doesn't mean that you have practices mm-hmm. of self-discipline or self-focus uh, in your own daily routine of devotion. Sure. Mine, believe it or not, my my daily devotion started uh, mainly on a, a strict thing is when I was going to do my first film. Hmm. And uh, it's like in my spirit, I felt like I had to make a covenant and a vow to God that, uh, you know, he wanted one. So I gave him one. I said, OK, Father, you bless me to do this. I'll give you my, my, my morning mm-hmm. and I'll give you my time every month. Hmm. And uh, it started like that. And so by me doing uh, those type of uh, things and practices and meditation and prayer, singing, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. on reading or studying or just listening, it has, it has focused my attention on things that were coming that I needed to be aware of, things that I needed to uh, prepare for. Mm-hmm. So it came about when I was about 40, really strong and focused, about 42 years old. Mm-hmm. Well, I really start, you know, focusing in on more of my my routine of devotion. That's awesome. So, and then you make the time also to to check in with your wife and your children. Does that really like sort of kick off your day with the place of like focus for what matters to you, or you know, is it is that relationship sort of the nurturing element that sort of sets the stage for what comes next? Uh, it, it, it may be uh, twofold. I, I think on one thing. You call to make sure everybody's still alive. <laughs> you first check in, y'all all right? Y'all made it for another day because so much happens in the course of an evening and night. Yeah. And so you check in with them, make sure they're okay. And uh, and then, of course, the wife, she's telling me basically what's going on in the business and what has to take place that day. So, yeah, it's a check-in, but it's also, you know, also awareness. You hear their voice and 
make sure they're all right. So thank you for taking me through that. I would love to pivot a little bit and talk about your work. And I know there's a lot there. So um, you mentioned your films. Why don't we start with that? Tell me a little bit about um, the films that you've done and how you got into filmmaking in the first place. Well, I'll start from the beginning. Uh, I got, I was, my father was the first, uh, again, television, African-American television show. It was kind of like a religious uh, show that he had on every week mm-hmm. that he uh, was uh, exposed to at the age of 10. Mm-hmm. So I was ex- ex- exposed to the, you know, the background, the studio, the cameras, the editing, the the director and all that stuff. And I was intrigued with it. And then uh, I did, you know, for some reason, I did some acting, some monologues in elementary school and uh, middle school. You know how they used to have a full round education back in the day mm-hmm. to where they gave you exposure to anything and everything that you may be in, uh, interested in. And then my father died when I was 15 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it wasn't until maybe about three or four years ago, my favorite movie was Back to the Future. Hmm. It was yeah. about three or four, maybe five years ago, mm-hmm. where I was in meditation and praying, and it revealed to me that I started weeping because I went to a hot. It was funny because I was on the, I did a VIP at Universal Studios, and I was on the set of Universal Studios where they hmm. did the car, uh, the car, and all that stuff with Back yeah. to the Future. Yeah, and I just started weeping. I said, why am I weeping on the lot of Universal? <laughs> yeah. And it, it dawned and it came to me that that movie really helped me cope with my father's death. Mm. And Michael J. Fox was one of the guys that I was I was trying, I was going to go to acting and stuff when I was 18. So I was trying to be like family ties back in mm-hmm. the day. <laughs> yeah. So that 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 was the I think that the first interest of it was from my father on his show. Mm-hmm. And then of course the different things. So uh, when we, when I got of age, 25 years old, I had my own show, my mm-hmm. own, uh, teaching inspirational show. Mm-hmm. And then later on in years, you know, I, I didn't do much with it. And, and because of situations and issues that transpired in my life of trying to succeed in my career and the different things, I kept seeing the same things that caused certain people to, to win and others to lose. And you wonder why, why am I losing? And he's, He's winning, but he did everything opposite than I did. Mm-hmm. And and his opposite was wrong, but he's still climbing. So one Thanksgiving, I just I said, I'm going to write this movie. I wrote a book uh, back in 97 mm-hmm. uh, called New Levels, New Devils, dealing with uh, the media, believe it or not, about mm-hmm. the, how the media was going to affect our lives mm-hmm. and how the Internet was going to be what it is today. And I got mm-hmm. the book. I wrote it in 97. Wow. And so so. uh I wrote this film about some of my disgruntlements of life mm-hmm. and I put it together and made some action. I was, and uh, that's what happened with the vow. Mm-hmm. When I had to make a vow in 41, 42, mm-hmm. he said, if you want this movie made, I want you to be more focused on your meditation. What have you. So I did it. Mm-hmm. And we brought, we developed this movie uh, called uh, John Wynn's mirror mirror. It's on a uh, prime Amazon prime. It'll be on mm-hmm. Tubi. Mm-hmm. Zumo, Exum, Zumo, and IMBD TV, mm-hmm. and we did a theatrical release, a, a week theatrical release, which mm-hmm. was different mm-hmm. for the first first film I did in uh, nineteen. Uh-huh. And then last year, I was just sitting around. I was going to do this other kind of sitcom uh-huh. series, and then some said just do a feature film, and we put another feature film together mm-hmm. called uh, John Wynn's Playhouse. It's about mm-hmm. therapy session. 
mm-hmm. and uh, how people go to this house thinking it's for one reason to have a great time, but they end up being healed from their childhood uh, mm-hmm. traumas. Okay. And so that's coming out. At, uh, we're doing a uh, theatrical, uh, not theatrical release, but a premiere at the end of February okay. this year. So we're excited. So that's how it kind of got going. Awesome. Yeah. So where will people be able to watch this film? Well, right now we're in negotiations with a major network. So I'm going to see what they're talking about and I'll see from there. And if that doesn't, if that doesn't, if they change their mind, they were interested in all of it. uh, Then if not, I'll just put it and show it worldwide on the wind network. Okay. Very, very cool. So that's one aspect of you. I feel like you're just such a multifaceted, talented person. And so it's like, there's the entertainment side, but then there's the spiritual side and the educational side. So I want to talk a little bit about those too. I know you're a pastor, as you said, third generational, um, and really with a drive to inspire others spiritually. But I also know that you've spent more than two decades working with teachers, students, and parents to help students graduate. So, you know, we do a lot of work in my public relations and marketing company, Your People, with schools and universities. And um, we talk to a lot of educators on this show. So I want to hear about your work in the educational sphere and how you came to do such important work, um, helping students really reach that graduation milestone. Well, you know what? Uh, In Reno, Nevada, back in the 70s, when I was going to school, I think special ed had just came brand new and a lot of, they were marginalized a lot of the uh, minority students to get more economics for certain schools. Mm -hmm. So when I was going to school in Reno, and it was only I was only one or two of us African Americans in the school. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would marginalize us and put us in classes to slow us down, but not really prepare us Ugh. on our academics. Mm-hmm. So uh, going through that was still traumatic sometimes to me. I still yet cry at times because of what they did. Yeah, uh, from a psychological standpoint. So mm-hmm. when I went when I moved back to Reno in 2010, I was. Uh, I was just trying to figure out what to do because I, you know, everything had just changed with the economy and all that stuff. And we had other businesses. And so everything just changed. And we moved up to Reno. Mm-hmm. And I said, what can I do? And I went to Hug High School. That was one of the schools. And they were having a lot of issues with kids and students. Mm-hmm. And I put this program together called the YES Program, mm-hmm. uh, Youth Empowered to Succeed. Mm-hmm. And we dealt, it was a, it was a, um, it was a, a life skill type of curriculum that helped kids understand who it was intimacy, identity and industry. Mm-hmm. So what we did, we went in there and developed who they were, because I realized in education so many times teachers focus so strong on academia, mm-hmm. but they don't focus on the idea or the mindset of the student that mm-hmm. they're trying to get through. Mm-hmm. Now, if a kid or a student has already gave themselves an F, what is your F going to do to them? Absolutely right. nothing. Right. They already flunked themselves. Yeah. So we went in and to try to develop self-esteem because I realized being an African-American, it's a self-esteem issue that we have. Hmm. It's an issue of not feeling good enough, already feeling marginalized and already feeling like we're nothing. Mm-hmm. So then when you get to the school and you have different works or you're having different issues with the work and you don't understand it, you act out in behavior mm-hmm. because you are really self-destructing because you feel like I'm not able to do this. Yeah. So we were able to get in the school with about 20 kids starting this program that I created that we have a curriculum in the whole workbook for. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, we just started talking to the kids and started developing these high school students. Mm-hmm. And what we did, we started giving them the motivation to feel better about themselves, that the grade has nothing to do with the teacher. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have anything to do with the your parents or the school. It has mm-hmm. everything to do with how you value yourself. Hmm. And when you take self-respect and you value you, then you want to what? Achieve in every area of your life. Yeah. So yeah. we spent time teaching them to value themselves, asking them questions like, who are you? Mm-hmm. What do you want in life? How do you how do you navigate that? What are, what are the basic human needs that you need? Mm-hmm. Why are you self-destructing? Mm-hmm. You know, what do you want to go after? What do you want to create? What do you want to do? And gave them a roadmap mm-hmm. to uh, uh, to get rid of the mental blueprint mm-hmm. of failure um, uh, the, uh, and move mental roadblocks mm-hmm. that are stopping them from achieving. So because we were able to show them their greatness, then they wanted to achieve in their life. Mm-hmm. And go on to college, and, and I mean, several kids have went on to high school from high school and some of the worst schools in Reno, and got into college or got a great job, mm-hmm. and they still. In fact, one of the kids reached out to me for my birthday on last week, mm-hmm. and uh, and I have, haven't done the program in 10, 20 years, mm-hmm. and she reached out and said, "Thank you, Doctor Wynn. You deserve it, and still going forward." So. Mm-hmm. We realize the value of teaching and education is already tough in itself. And teachers don't always have enough time to deal with the kids, emotional stimulation and emotional traumas. Yeah. So they are on a time limit. But we were able to go in there and add that back up. They call it social, emo- social emotional type of learning. But we didn't mm-hmm. put just the aspect of feely friendly, but more of, hey, I am somebody. I can't yeah. do this. Yeah. You know, it's so important what you're talking about. And I feel like there's just so many barriers to educational success in America today. There's just, there's economic issues, there's racial issues, there's, there's so much. And I feel like it feels overwhelming. It feels like, how do we transform our educational systems? How do we actually build equity so that all students and families have a fair chance to start at the same place? And I don't have an answer. I don't know. That's a big question. I don't know if you have an answer, but I just feel like there has to be a way. There has to be a way that we can give every child the same chance because you're right. It's all about belief in themselves. And if the system isn't believing in them, how are they going to learn that? Well, you know, uh, Dillo, like I said, I came from Reno and yeah. Reno is a very different world. Like I said, it was we, we were the minorities, of course, still is. Yeah. It's only a small percentage of African-American. And I think what helped me out is when I went, when my father died, my mom remarried and we met, I went to, I went to Berkeley Mm -hmm. for a semester Mm -hmm. for high school. Mm -hmm. And when I went to Berkeley high school, I saw people that looked like me. It was a Mm -hmm. melting pot of all type of races because Berkeley high school is like a college prep school. Okay. And when I went there and my counselor pushed me, he said, ah, you can do this. You go do the class. He had me in poetry. I'm like, poetry, <laughs> poetry, uh, you know, uh, 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 business law, uh-huh. uh, uh, all type of classes that challenged me. But what I saw when I saw people that looked like me and they I, I, I didn't even think in college and in, in Nevada, they're not really interested in you getting an education as much as they are now because it was a service type of industry. Yeah. Sure. So you, you were making fifteen dollars parking cars. $30, you know, an hour doing mm-hmm. casino runners or busting tables. So they didn't really care about academia because you were making great money just doing service industry. 
So it wasn't until just here recently, Reno, really, Nevada started putting emphasis on education. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when I went to Berkeley High School, and I wasn't thinking about going to college, and it wasn't until one of these guys, John, take your SAT test. I like taking mm-hmm. my SAT. John, <laughs> just go take the SAT test. No, man, I'm not going to college. John, take the SAT test whether you go or not. So I went and took it. So it was it was people that looked like you that was achieving that caused you to want to achieve. That, yeah. oh, I can achieve. So when you see people look like you or people that have the same uh, aspect or ideals of, as you, and you want to see them move forward. And I think I think the challenge in educational system now, the Republicans, especially the Republicans, <laughs> they're rather you get a trade than just spend four years, five years into a university mm-hmm. and then have then have 10 years worth of debt mm-hmm. because you can't get a job. My son right. graduated from from college and he said uh, he said, Dad, most of the people that graduate from with an English degree. Uh-huh. That most people that are that are that are here, we're working in the warehouse in Reno because mm, yeah. nobody's hiring degree people yeah. for whatever reason or what have you. So I think I think the the the, the truth of the matter. Is, so I think America has put its emphasis on capitalism. Mm-hmm. So when you can make money and you feel like one guy, he was a gamer, young guy, young mm-hmm. young kid. Mm-hmm. he's making millions playing games. He <laughs> tells crazy. his mom and he's like 12, 13, 14 years old. He tells <laughs> his mom, I'm not going to college. Right. I'm rich. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I'm rich. So oh I think the, the school system has to put more emphasis on what it's trying to achieve. Like in also in uh, Reno, they did, um, they were called signature academies mm-hmm. where they start putting different trades back in school. Like one school focused on the medical industry. Another one, focused on the IT industry. You know, of course, you've heard of, if you're in academia, you heard of uh, them, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Yep. So everybody's going into tech IT. And I think now the best thing to do is teach kids how to code. Yeah. Because that's not going anywhere. And especially with what has happened in the pandemic, everybody, even our business, we've seen growth 300% just because of the pandemic. And everybody's going to social media. So and going online and getting their information. So we we were in the right place, the mm-hmm. right time, unfortunately, mm-hmm. for a bad event. Yeah. I mean, that because a bad event took place. So now kids now have to learn and parents have to learn. Oh, my gosh, our kids have to learn online mm-hmm. schooling. So I think it's, it's really finding what kids want, developing mm-hmm. those kids and what they want to learn and achieve and then point them in the right direction. That's mm-hmm. what I try to do with my kids. And uh, and I think that's what people have to do because the system itself is not going to do that. That's what I feel like. It has to be a parent, definitely a parent initiative with the students as well as totally. the teachers. Yeah, totally true. And I love that because it's really embracing what is unique um, about the child and what are their skills and talents. And let's let's make them, you know like expand it and draw it out and see, see where it takes them. So that's awesome. So it's interesting because you mentioned your network and how in the pandemic you've really seen growth. I want to talk about it. So in 2017, you launched a 24 hour TV network platform called the wind network. So tell me about it. How did it come to be? What are your goals for this? You know, uh, it came to be an inspirational entertainment network. Uh, You know, uh, it's, it's inspiration because we do have language. We like, we don't have nudity. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but we do have language in certain films and, and it's insp- entertainment, but also it's inspirational because sometimes you, you know, you want to see a good flick, but sometimes you're going through and you need some inspiration, some good yeah. words or a good song or good music. Sure. So we try to bring and marry, marry that together. Cause I, cause I, I built, I built, I built it off of me. You know, I, I like good movies, you know, yeah. you know, my mom asked me one time, John, are you going to go watch uh, this particular faith-based movie? I said, nah, mom, I'm going to go see somebody get shot or killed because uh-huh. <laughs> I want some action. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I try to keep a well-rounded uh, uh, mindset when it comes to medium, because you have to be well-rounded in that space because it's entertainment. Sure. And so we have limitations on what entertainment we allow on the platform. But for the mm-hmm. most part, if it's inspiration, if it's good and it's and it's family friendly, then that's what we're doing. Our job is not to show per se the the view of the world. You know, I'm, I don't have that world view, you know, mm-hmm. where we have need these type of people and we need these type of people. Like, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm more focused on the overall story. There's plenty of networks you can go to. I'm interested yeah. in stories. Okay. And if it's a good story, that's what we put together. Awesome. So it's, it really came out of, you know, seeing people that are creative and people that have an idea mm-hmm. uh, that want to do movies, but don't have to compromise themselves or go to the casting couch, as they say, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, <laughs> have to <laughs> compromise who they are and their belief and their identity to act or to perform. So that's mm-hmm. another thing that we did because we put, we did some sitcoms and some other movies we have access to over seven thousand films and uh, hmm. we have films on the network that are that are both you know they're, they're some christian and some are not some are just good stories mm-hmm. what are your goals for the network what are you looking to see happen in the future you know what i would like to see if i could i the network is free but then the new releases non-commercial is like 5.99 mm-hmm. i would like to see five hundred thousand. Uh, subscribers within the, you know, within a few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we can and more then you know, as more grows, that's fine to me too. Mm-hmm. 500 subscribers, that's paying the $5.99 on this type of platform. If not, we would like to reach like we're doing, we have access to reach over 380 million homes worldwide mm-hmm. on Fire Stick, Net, uh, Fire Stick, Roku Television, Mm-hmm. Uh, Google Play, uh, iOS systems, okay. um, um, Apple TV. Uh, we can be seen on a, uh, your phones, your Android phones, your app, your uh, iPad, and everywhere. Just like Netflix, pretty much. We're okay. working on getting on smart televisions as well as because with the smart television, you have to buy the Roku box yeah. or the Apple box. But yep. it, but we we're working on getting on those those Samsungs and those mm-hmm. LG TVs as well. Awesome. So we're just expanding every year. Very cool. So you do a lot of things, a lot of great things. And I'm wondering what you love most doing and what's been the most rewarding for you so far. Empowering folks, doing my empowerment with the uh, Dr. John Wynn, Mm -hmm. with the young people, with the kids, you know, inspiring people, helping them reach their goals, finding out who they are. I think that has been what I, when I talk about fulfillment, when I talk about feeling I mean that that's the best feeling. That's better than preaching to me, hmm. because it 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 it's giving people, uh, it's talking to people where they are and really giving them a sense of direction. Mm-hmm. Because I know when I was young, I didn't have any direction. Mm-hmm. My dad died. I moved to a new city. Mm-hmm. Stepdad, you know how that works, mm-hmm. and and just was looking for direction. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day I was getting ready to come out of high school, and I was watching PBS. 
and Les Brown was on TV. And he was talking about his challenges as a young kid. He said, but the teacher told him one thing. He said, it's better to be prepared for an opportunity mm-hmm. than have an opportunity and not be prepared. Mm-hmm. And that stuck with me from my 18 years, when I was 18 years old to now I'm 51. Mm-hmm. And the crazy thing was Saturday, this past Saturday, a day after my birthday, mm-hmm. a friend of mine connected me to Les Brown. And mm-hmm. I was to, able to tell Les Brown what he meant for me and he possibly may come to the network and have a channel so that was exciting because he inspired me so much oh so you just gave me chills (laughs) that's amazing (laughs) that's so cool wow that was that was just this past weekend and it was just it was just wow yeah and I was able to tell him that how he gave me some direction to prepare my mind and my life that I told my kids hey it's better be prepared so let's be prepared for opportunities to go forward. And that's what happened with the pandemic. We were ready. We were prepared. Yeah. We had everything laid out. So when people and pastors needed service and what have you, or didn't know what to do with their streaming service, we were able to come to the aid to those pastors. And that was the greatest feeling as well as to empower people. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, you know, on this show, we share with listeners how to determine your meaning and use it to direct purpose-driven work. So I wonder if you would give some advice to our listeners who are looking for, you know, what is their meaning? How do they put that into something that will make a difference? What advice would you have for people listening today about how they can discover what they were meant to do? You know, that's a, that's a loaded question. I think it depends on what aspect of life or where you come from. I really believe that. For instance, when I was coming up as a church guy in the church, I thought everything had to be geared towards what I was part of in church. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize I could take the church with me to empower people outside of the four walls. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes people look more at their their areas or what they've been exposed to to find their purpose. Mm-hmm. But they never even they never look within themselves to really pray and ask, what what is it that you want me to do? And I think people, many times I've talked to many of them, they they just fulfill what, there's two things that I think I, I also gather with purpose, mm-hmm. but people, America kind of teaches against it. What I've, what I've come to know, mm-hmm. learn, is that sometimes you'll find your purpose in the pathway that was passed down to your, from your parents. Mm-hmm. Whether you, you know, for instance, uh, my dad was a community leader. My dad was a pastor. My dad was a businessman. My grandfather was a pastor. He was a community leader. He was a businessman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I told my sons, I said, listen, I, I, I could play sports, but I didn't make it in sports. Mm-hmm. I did make it in business. I did make it in, in uh, ministry. And I did make it in things like that. I could give you those tools mm-hmm. that that's already innate in you. Mm-hmm. to go forward with it and then find a meaning within that pattern that's already been laid out. Mm-hmm. And I know nowadays society says, let your kids find their own way. Well, that's not, I don't agree with that because mm-hmm. I feel like the parents have worked hard to develop you to take on something or business or legacy or whatever it is mm-hmm. where you don't have to struggle in life after so many different generations. As they say, short, search leave the search leave, how it goes. Yeah. And so I think people 
can maybe sometimes if you stop and really listen, you can find your purpose within your family's uh, giftings sometimes. Mm-hmm. If you just mm-hmm. look and watch. And uh, and sometimes people don't like to do that. They want to go to school and explore this and that and the other. And the, the truth of the matter is you don't really understand after you get the education, the education that the teacher how to really do the job. Yeah. It gives you the knowledge of the job, but not the know-how of the job. Yeah. And so I, I learned that, you know, looking at the purpose of my dad, I mean, because I believe your purpose is also identified to you young. Mm-hmm. I was exposed yes. to media young. Yeah. So I, I had to tap into it, though. Yeah. Because I was so focused thinking it was about the church building. I just told my sisters this today. Mm-hmm. I said, I thought my purpose was just pastoring and trying to get to the church. But my success didn't come from that. Mm-hmm. As, in other words, what I mean by success, a full, huge congregation, people mm-hmm. coming to the church. No, it came through my aspect of the media. Mm-hmm. I've had more and experienced success through the media, through the films, telling the story. Yeah. And being and being related that way more than I did my four walls that I thought I was going to be great at. Yeah. So but then I said, well, John, what gives you permission to be here? I said, well, when I was 10 years old, I ex- my father exposed me to it. That's what gives me permission to be here. Hmm. So just tapping into your youth and really thinking. Yeah. Yeah. We know who we are early on. And I think we forget that as we get older. And other people give their opinions, but that mm-hmm. little voice inside can be so clear and yes. so guiding if we just want to listen to it. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Definitely. Well, John Wynn, it is such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for being on the Make Meaning podcast. Thank you so much for your questions and giving us an opportunity to be with you. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard here, join us over at makemeaning.org to discover how you can add more meaning to your life. And hey, if you like our conversations, please subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world.